Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores, including Doc Martens, Ninja Kitchen, and Hotels.com. Prep for summer and save big on beauty, travel, electronics, and more. It's one of Rakuten's biggest cash back events, and it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, from Denver, Colorado. I'll speak with Colorado's Governor, Jared Polis, on the state's post-COVID travel recovery and the staffing challenges throughout the Rocky Mountains. In a state so dependent on travel and tourism, and with travel demand about as high as you could get, what can be done? We'll also talk about the recent Supreme Court decision overturning Roe versus Wade. And yes, believe it or not, that's actually a travel story too. Then we'll pitch it in to Dick Monfort, the owner of the Colorado Rockies, and we'll talk about Mile High Baseball. The team may not be doing so well this year, but the stadium is pretty cool. Not to mention we'll talk, among other things, the benefits of altitude on the long ball. Batting third, if you think Colorado and beer only means Coors, you better think again. I'll check in with Ed Sealover from the Denver Business Journal on the explosion of beer and beer culture in Colorado. So how many breweries in the state? The answer is going to surprise you. Leading off, Colorado Governor Jared Polis. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. 
How are you, sir? Hey, Peter. Not only did the Avalanche have an amazing season, but also in lacrosse, Mammoth, Colorado Mammoth, national champions for lacrosse. So it's it's a great sports town, Colorado. You know, we got that. We got we got all of them: basketball, football, baseball, soccer with the Rapids. You name it. And uh, that's that's one of the fun things people enjoy: not just watching sports, but participating in sports. Day. So what you're telling me is, Governor, you're obligated to go to every game. I don't think I get much work done as governor if I went to every game of every sport. <laughs> got too many darn sports going on here. I got you. Well, let's shift gears and talk about some more important stories, at least as it applies to travel and the crazy summer of 2022. Uh, We've seen the airline meltdowns, the airport meltdowns across the country, obviously overscheduled airlines, understaffed airlines, understaffed infrastructure, not just airports, but of course hotels, and the very, you know, the essence of what supports so much of your economy, which is travel and tourism. The last time you and I spoke, it was in the middle of the pandemic. You know, you were doing your best to adjust. And 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 Colorado was, of course, one of those states that was uh, so attractive to so many Americans to basically say, I'm going to go there and, and breathe. You know, it was uh, you had your social distancing as a state already baked into the mix. Yeah. You know, our, our big a big piece of reason people come to Colorado is the outdoors. So even in the height of the pandemic in, you know, 2020, 2021, we had very strong summer and winter tourism seasons because people wanted to, you know, explore the mountains outside. Uh, we've also been less hard hit by the these cancellations because our major carriers, United Frontier, to their credit, have done a better job. So you haven't seen the kind of cancellations that that certain clubs have seen. So uh, it's been pretty good at getting people in and out. The way our state works, also you can find in Denver, Colorado Springs, they're both great hubs to explore the entire state, right? You get in, you you rent a car, you take a bus and you get get pretty much anywhere you want to go within a few hours. So um, really accessible, and we've been less hit by some of these cancellations. I hear you. Although recently, I was I was in Denver to give a speech, and when the speech was over, I walked from the convention center. Still love the big blue bear. I walked from the convention center just to a local restaurant, which was uh, in this particular case the Cheesecake Factory. It was about one thirty in the afternoon. I counted thirty empty tables, and they told me I had a forty minute wait because they literally didn't have the staff. How are you addressing that? Because that's not just a Colorado problem. That's a that's a U.S. problem. Yeah, we're seeing this everywhere. Um, first of all, we have a higher labor participation rate. I think we have second in the country. Uh, we we just did an initiative, and, and if you come to Colorado uh, in summer, you might want to go swimming in one of our public pools. We just did an initiative to get all our public pools open. We're, we're paying lifeguards bonuses. We're training more. By 4th of July weekend, we should have um, nearly all of our public pools open. We're at 57% of normal hours our public pools now. So, you know, it's about all of those things. We're getting, uh, we're, we're trying to get retirees back into the workforce, people in their, you know, 50s, 60s that, that might have retired, might want to earn some extra money, come back part-time in hospitality or uh, whatever field you want to work in. So we're, we're doing everything we can to expand the workforce. Housing's part of that, especially as you get out of Denver and the mountain communities. Uh, you know, it's high cost of housing. How can a work, we can have a workforce so we're doing a major investment in housing. Now, that takes more like a year or two before that has an impact. But we, this, this is both a short-term problem and a long-term problem because we want to give every visitor to our state the very best experience that we can. By the way, you mentioned uh, public pools. How cool is the pool in Glenwood Springs? Oh, well, we have natural. Yeah, so we have several natural hot spring pools. So I would, uh, right near Denver, Idaho Springs, that we're talking 45 minutes from Denver, and then as you get out to Western Colorado, Glenwood Springs, you can also Google hot springs of Colorado. You can find a few dozen across our state. Some of them have, uh, you know, resorts around them. Others are day access. Some you have to hike to and are naturally hot. They're undeveloped. They're pristine. Others are commercialized. But yeah, Glenwood in Idaho, 
uh, Springs Natural Hot Pools. Uh, legend has it they'll cure whatever ails you as well. <laughs> All right, I'm coming. Uh, but, you know, the other interesting thing for me is, and you mentioned, you know, building housing, and you've got so many great ski resorts in Colorado, um, and the cost of housing is so high. How do you how do you attract staff if they've got nowhere to live where they can afford? Yeah, for, well, you know, at the base level here, we need more housing, Peter, and we're on it, uh, working with all of our major areas. They get the issue locally. One thing we did, for instance, is there's a modest uh, lodging tax that they take in and uh, different parts of our state. And traditionally, that's been used to promote tourism. Uh, we love that. And But the thing is, the secret's out on Colorado. You're covering us, Peter. And once you cover us, the whole world knows about us. But also, what we hear from many communities in Summit County and Eagle County is they say, look, we don't really need the money now to promote tourism. We're getting as many tourists as we can have. The issue is we don't have a workforce. So they're now, we just signed a bill where they can use their lodging tax revenue for housing if they need to to support the tourism industry rather than just promoting tourism. So again, more housing coming online, going to get better uh, over the years ahead. Of course, it's, you know, the pandemic, beware the law of unintended consequences. The pandemic allowed a lot of people to reassess their, their lot in life, reassess their quality of living, their cost of living, where they were living, and, and the definition of their passion for their, for their profession. And, and the example that I use, of, if you and I were going to go to dinner tonight in somewhere in Italy, uh, the person who is our waiter, it's not his job. It's his profession. It's, uh, it's something that he loves to do or she loves to do. It's something that's done maybe within their family for years. You know, now, if you and I were to go to dinner tonight in Los Angeles, our waiter would be an out-of-work actor waiting for another gig who didn't look at that job as a profession at all. And the pandemic became sort of like this catalytic moment for people to say, okay, I'm out of here. The real challenge is now how in the hospitality industry, which is so much of what drives your economy, do you get people to come back and embrace this, the job as a profession? So part of that is it pays better now. And we're seeing that. So like, you know, I mean, you know, 18 year old working in a restaurant, maybe three years ago, you know, 14, 15 an hour, they're up around 18, 20 an hour right now. So, so, you know, that matters, right? Um, also, I think people are just thinking of what is that work-life balance they want? You know, what is the job that they're passionate about? What do they want to do? And and how can we make that a fulfilling uh, occupation for them? So I'm not, you know, I don't know the greater social commentary in this. I agree. Lots of people re-examine what they did. They're moving from one job to another profession or, or changing what they do. And, and some people are going to be doing several things, right? You might be in hospitality and a lifeguard and, you know, working in retail. And that's great, too. So... What is your biggest travel and tourism challenge uh, for this summer? We're seeing already, uh, regardless of high gas prices, regardless of airline tickets that have almost in some markets quadrupled, people aren't going to be denying their, their, their summer travel. They're going. Uh, and you know maybe they're getting beaten up at the airport, but they're still going. Uh, we haven't reached the tipping point for, for automobile travel. Even, you know, I, I shudder to even think if gas goes to 7 8 and $9 a gallon, even then, people are probably going to stay in their cars because they'll they'll cram five people in there with granny strapped to the roof. So where do you see all of this going? Well, first, I want to tout that, you know, Colorado and Denver, it remains one of the far more affordable uh, air markets. And we're, we're fortunate. We're lucky because we have Southwest, United and Frontier. And that competition really keeps rates low. And, uh, and, and particularly Frontier and Southwest, but United reacts to that. So you're going to find of major cities, this is probably the most affordable air market, very reliable air market. 
and, and most people do want to fly here because the West is vast, right? And then they want to explore as their base of operation. But absolutely, others are going to road trip it. Uh, great road trip state, obviously the American West people, you know, whether it's an RV or whether it's uh, your car and going from hotel to motel, those are all fun experiences, lot to see on the road. And uh, we always appreciate stopping by Colorado. I will remind you, of course, that in the days when, uh, when Wellington Webb was there as the, as the mayor of Denver, when they used to call DIA doesn't include airplanes. Um, and yet the airport has really turned around. I remember a time when the chairman of Southwest Airlines said to me he would never fly out of Denver because it was responsible for 30% of his delays system-wide. Well, guess who's back? Southwest Airlines. Yeah, back in a big way. They also serve Colorado Springs, which, you know, when you're pricing out your travel, clearly look at Colorado Springs and Denver. Uh, we have limited commercial service into a couple other airports as well. Loveland, Fort Collins has a little bit of service. Grand Junction has some service. So uh, look at those different options. Uh, by the way, Denver Airport and Colorado Springs are only about an hour and 10 minutes apart, drive apart. Um, you know, there's also a lot of opportunities to explore some of the real hidden gems and off the beaten track, uh, you know, opportunities that Colorado offers. And, you know, we have 42 state parks. Each one's amazing. You know, Southern Colorado Fishers Peak State Park is great. Uh, Comanche National Grasslands in La Junta. If you're planning fall travel, September, October, we have an amazing uh, tarantula migration there where you can see and, and uh, you know, uh, you have to read the tarantulas. We're, we're called tarantula tourism. It's the next big thing, Peter. You mentioned some of the smaller markets in, in, the, in the Colorado market or the small airports in the Colorado market. We're seeing a, a real problem right now with airlines across the board where they're starting to park their 50-seat regional jets and because they can't afford to fly them anymore either because of fuel prices or what they're paying their pilots, which they needed to pay them anyway. Uh, even if they're flying 80% load factors, they weren't making any money. And we're seeing market after market either getting reduced air service uh, or airlines announcing they're pulling out entirely. So just, what, two weeks ago, Americans said they're out of Toledo, Ohio, Ithaca, New York, Long Island, and Islip. Uh, you're seeing other airlines cutting back on the West Coast. Uh, how do you fix that? Because they were always structured to fly those planes. American parked 100 of those planes the other day, and they had to admit they didn't even have the pilots to fly them. So for the smaller communities in Colorado, what's their option? Yeah, we haven't been hit as much, uh, perhaps due to higher load factors. Um, we got hit a little bit with Delta cutbacks in Grand Junction because uh, Grand Junction is not too far from Salt Lake City in Western Colorado. But again, Denver and Colorado Springs, uh, United Frontier, have been among the best and most reliable. Southwest has had some issues, not really affecting Colorado, but they've been, uh, they've also been, you know, doing fine and adding service. So most of the major airlines that serve us have been in expanding service mode, Peter, and I don't get to see all their economic modeling, but it must be good for business. And uh, we're obviously excited about it. So let me shift gears for a second, because once again, we are seeing a brave new world of, of a different kind of tourism, right? We went from working from an office to working from home to working from anywhere. And we're seeing this major transformation in cities across the country where even though we're, you know, we're managing the virus now and we're doing a very good job of it, people are deciding, you know what, I don't want to go back to an office. What does that do to your, to your model in, in Colorado? So we absolutely have more people living in our state 
who are have location independent employment, right? So maybe they were part time residents of you know Vale or Edwards or Winter Park or um, Grand Junction or Frisco part time, and then they said, you know what? Now we're able to be full time residents, or maybe they were just people who visited during the holidays, or maybe they, they just found our state. But yeah, we we have a higher number of folks that are able to live in our high quality of life mountain communities and work wherever they work remotely. And that's that's added to our mix. It's certainly taken more housing uh, offline that might have been used uh, as workforce housing. It might have been used as uh, Airbnb for, for visitors. Um, but it, it helps our overall economy because it's not seasonal. They're there year round. They're spending money in our stores and restaurants. So overall, it's been a net positive for our state. We're talking with Jared Polis, the governor of Colorado. One last item before I let you go, Governor Polis. The U.S. Supreme Court just overturned Roe versus Wade. And in the wake of this, does this mean that another kind of bizarre tourism now starts? I mean, necessity being the mother of invention. But let's call it, for lack of a better term, abortion tourism, where states open up for people to get treatment when other states close down entirely. So where's Colorado on that? Well, you know, you know I, I, as somebody who's pro-choice and, and believes that this is, you know, the freedom to make your own reproductive health decisions, the starter end of pregnancy, uh, that's also a basic Colorado value. Um, the right to choose is protected in state law. Uh, I think it's, it's, it is sad that in other parts of the country, some women are going to turn to unsafe back alley abortions of great um, jeopardy to their own health. Um, and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a sad thing in this day and age that we're, we're taking away that basic right for people. But in Colorado, women have that right protected in law, uh, determinate and start pregnancies with, uh, uh, reproductive technology. So, um, you know, it's something that we realize we can no longer take for granted, but, um, it is, it is protected in state law and our state, um, uh, first pro-choice law was signed by a Republican governor in the 1970s. And uh, we've been a state that supports that freedom, that basic freedom for people ever since. It still seems like such a bizarre subject to talk about that you will see the development in Colorado and other states of, you know, abortion tour packages, if you will, for people to come get necessary treatment and then the aftercare. Yeah, I I don't know what that means. Um, Obviously, you've had Things like medical tourism, uh, you know, uh, mostly, you know, I, I, people that aren't insured going for dental procedures to Mexico or Thailand. We had a friend who went to Thailand and had her medic, had her dental procedures done there. And uh, it, it, the difference in cost more than paid for her whole trip to Thailand. Right. So people do that kind of thing. Um, you know, at a certain level, obviously, I mean, a pregnancy can be a medical procedure. It can also be uh uh, you know, early on, it can it can simply be things like the, the morning after pill and, and other types of things. Those are all available in Colorado. Again, it's sad to me that that is uh, something that is not available to all of, um, Americans. Um, you know, I consider control over when and how you have a child to be a basic right. And, and most Coloradans feel the same way. The first time I reported a sports story in Denver, I was a correspondent for Newsweek and went to the old Mile High Stadium to do a cover story on legendary Broncos running back, Floyd Little. Now I'm back at the new stadium, talking with Colorado Rockies owner, Dick Monfort. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. 
We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. How are you, sir? It's, it's great to be here, and thank you very much. I mean, I'm a baseball nut. I've tried to go to every stadium. Um, I remember first coming here to do Floyd Little for the Broncos back when I was working for Newsweek. So I was remember you know, the old Mile High Stadium. Now you got a brand new building over here, and you had, and you had the All Star team, the All Star game here last year. That's correct. You know, and the stadium is actually now twenty eight years old. Who knew? And it is the third oldest National League park. Uh, well, Wrigley. Wrigley's got to be Wrigley, Wrigley and Dodger Stadium. Wow! So it's twenty eight years old. It but doesn't look. What that was way. its first name though? It was was it Coors? Yes, it was always Coors Field. Yeah, yeah. Wow, amazing! Now you're making me feel very old. Yeah, well, I, I'm right there with you. <laughs> so tell me, Denver was never really known when I was growing up as a baseball town, right? Right. You had minor league teams. Yes. Right. You had the Bears. Right. Right. Is it now a baseball town? I think so, yes. Uh, you know, Denver's an interesting city. A lot of people have migrated here. So when we play the Cardinals, when we play the Cubs, when we play the Dodgers, when we play a lot of teams, there You'll are... You'll see some uniforms on the stands. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so, I, you know, we, we set every record in baseball, and they'll never be broken the first two years of our existence Ex- because... Tell me, tell Because me. we played at mile high. There was a series... Uh, that we had against the Cleveland Indians, who were good. This would be in 93-94, where we drew for a four-game series 320,000 people. And for a city the size of Denver, that's yeah. remarkable. Right. People from baseball didn't think we could draw. Um, you know, they were a little – they didn't know about the altitude. That, you know. Okay, so, so end a rumor for me. Yeah. Does the ball fly farther here? Uh, yeah, it should. Yes, I <laughs> mean know, that's not solving the rumor. No, I mean it does. I mean the air's thinner, so yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm not a scientist or anything like that. But thinner air, things do go farther. I, golfers will tell you they they hit one less club here than they hit somewhere else. So yes, it does it does go farther. But I remember, you know, you go to Yankee Stadium, right field. The right field fence was a little short at Yankee Stadium, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you go back to the days of Maris and Mantle, right. you know, you could understand why they got a couple of home runs that otherwise they would not have gotten. Right. How, how deep is the porch here? It, the biggest outfield in all of baseball. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's not just so much center field is 415 or 420. That's deep. Yeah. But, it, you know, it, it, that when you're that deep and it's symmetrical, if that's the right word, it just is a ton of territory an interesting fact and this really doesn't have to do with the outfield but Coorsfield is built on 14 acres just the the stadium okay just the stadium not parking or anything like that target field in minnesota is uh built on eight acres where the twins play where the twins play but what the difference is you go to target field and everything's right on top of the of the field, and the field's smaller, 
And at Coorsfeld, everything spread out with large concourses and all of that stuff. It, it's just an interesting fact that you can have the same game played in two different areas and one has twice the size of the stadium as the other one. So is there such a thing here because of your location and your altitude as a distinct home field advantage? Uh, we'd like to think so. We usually do play well at home. Uh, it, you know, there's a couple things. The ball does fly better. We, we've gotten to where we have a lot of guys that hit get ground balls. Uh, but it also wear and tear on, on the players that play here. Everybody, Our players are only here 81 nights a year. There's very few of them that live around here all year long. So there is a huge wear and tear on our players during the course of the year. But because of altitude? Because of altitude. Dehydration? Right? Absolutely. So, so do you do something different in training here? Uh, well, that's the other thing. Our training's down in Scottsdale with everybody else. Yeah. But I do think, and I've noticed this in hockey and basketball, I, I, I'm a big sports fan, and even the Broncos, but in hockey and basketball, they have a huge home field advantage. I used to watch, go to the Nugget games when they had David Thompson and, and Magic Johnson and, and James Worthy and all those guys. Showtime. Played. Yeah, Showtime. We would the, the Nuggets would be down going into the fourth quarter every time, and Showtime really slowed down during that fourth quarter. <laughs> and you knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen, yeah. And so our guys, I think especially sports like that, and even the Broncos, like I said, they, they're, you know, the training is 50, the Olympic training is 50 miles from here. There's a reason why they train in Colorado Springs. And so I think the athletes that don't play every night – and go away for 10 days and all that, I think they, they build an endurance, and I think it's very good for them. When people come to Denver, you want them, obviously, to come to the game. What's the biggest thing they're going to be surprised about when they enter the stadium? I think I told you it's the third oldest stadium. There's not a person in the world that can believe that. because it I'm is, one of them. I can't believe it. it. It's kept up so well. It was built, and this had nothing to do with me. It's timeless. It's brick. It's, you know, it's, it's just a very good area. We had, we took some, uh, some seats out four or five years ago, no, seven years ago, and we put a big party deck up there. And so the young people, that's where they hang out. And even some of us old guys hang out there, (laughs) but you know, I think it's just, you would be amazed by how well the stadium has held up now. My very first baseball game, I'm a New Yorker, my dad took me when I was six years old, was Yankee Stadium, and I sat behind a steel pole. Yeah. That's what we sat, right? Yeah. Before they redid Yankee Stadium. Yeah. And then as the later generations of stadiums came in, everybody's boasting, not a bad seat in the house. Right. Are you making that statement? We still have some <laughs> obstructed views, so it's not as bad as old Yankee Stadium or Wrigley Field or, or Fenway or any of that. But, yeah, we still have some obstructed views. But it, it is a great park, and um, it, we've got a great fan base. I mean, we're always – we're the 19th largest market. We're, we're normally in the top seven or eight attendance-wise. We have glorious weather. I mean – we don't have to fight the humidity in July. You know, it's 70 degrees at game time at a night game. It, so we, we have great weather, and, and we're, we're building a great allegiance of fans. So they're coming whether you win or lose. That's right. Did you ever play the game? I, yes, I did. I played in high school. 
I wasn't very good. I was a catcher. Uh, my claim to fame. How are your knees? Uh, they're all right. Uh, my claim to fame is that I was the first catcher. Well, you know, now catchers are judged on defense and offense. I, I, was, I wasn't judged that way. I was good on defense. I was pretty poor on offense. So, so your lifetime batting average yeah, is? Yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing. 180? Yeah, probably somewhere in there. <laughs> and I doubt I had any home runs, so it, it wouldn't look good on a But on they still let you play. Card. Yeah, they let me. Well, the, the best pitcher on the team was a buddy of mine, and I grew up catching him. So and, they wanted you to be yeah, with them. Yeah. See? Yep. So you were kind of grandfathered in there. Yeah. I, I, I had sort of a free pass through high school. Amazing. Let's talk about the new rules. Okay. Right? The shift. Yes. You think it's a good idea? I think doing away with the shift, yeah. I do. Um, you know, I think the shift is really bad for left-handed hitters. Um, you know, to have Manny Machado, who we get to play quite a bit, as a rover in right field. Uh, yeah, I, I think we want more action, right? People go for action. And so I, I think the, that the shift should, uh, you know, it's not – totally going to go away you got to have two on both sides of the bag and they both they all got to be in the dirt i i think that's a good rule to have okay i'll check it out and the seventh and the seventh inning rule the seven uh, the seven inning double headers yeah now they did away with that this year i'm a big proponent of keeping the seven inning really yeah i you know it just kills your you know most of the double headers are because of bad weather and it really screws up your pitching staff for the weeks to come. So I think, I think it's all about the rotation. Yeah, I, 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 in my mind, it is. And the other thing is, you know, you play a game that starts at two o'clock or one o'clock, and then you have about a three-hour gap so you can get more fans in. It just makes sense to me to to play shorter games. And in a given 162-game season, how many doubleheaders are you uh, going to do? You know, I, we, we, because we started late this year, we've got a couple that are on our schedule, but maybe four. So it's really not that much. No. Wow. And the designated hitter? Love it. Really? I love it, especially here for our team because it's more action. You don't have the fear of your pitcher Getting pulling hurt. a hammy or trying to lay down a butt, which none of them can do, and breaking his hand. Um, and here, it gives us the opportunity to keep an offensive player in the game but off the field to give him a day's rest. And that's the way we do it. We don't really have a Ortiz-type guy. We right. sort of move him in and out. Of course, I'm old enough to remember when pitchers pitched full games. Yeah, I know it. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, if you took the pitcher out, it was only because the team was getting there, you know what kicked. Right. But other than that, they went nine innings. Yeah. Not anymore. Not anymore. What's the, on an average number of pitches per, per pitcher in a game? 100 now. If you're lucky. Yeah. I mean, if you're pitching good, you probably get to 100. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had a guy, last, now we were winning big yesterday, and he had pitched 100 and, 10 pitches his last start, but we took him out after seven, and I want to say he had 78 pitches or 80 So pitches. he hadn't pitched that much. No, and he could have gone more, but, you know, but he made the decision. I think it was wise. Take him out. Get him rested. Okay, got to ask the last question because when I was growing up, I went to Yankee Stadium. By the way, 
I hated the Yankees because they didn't trust anybody in pinstripes. Right. Okay. Uh-huh. I was a Mets fan because I never forgave the Dodgers for leaving. Right. Okay. But whether you went to Shea Stadium or you went to Yankee Stadium, the food sucked. Mm-hmm. Right. It was Harry Stern. The worst mystery hot dogs with the ugly mustard. It was terrible. You've upped the ante, haven't you? Oh, in, yeah. In the food department? Yeah. I think all stadiums have. I, I, I think that they figured it out. I have been to all the stadiums that are current. And I've been to two in New York, both the Mets, both the Yankees, the last two. I mean, I've been to a lot of stadiums. And I think everybody, that is a big push for everybody is to make it more of a, uh, you know, you have salads, you have sushi, you have wine, you have all sorts of stuff at the park now. All right, so let's take this field out of the contention right now. Right. What's your favorite ballpark? I'm going to go with Pittsburgh. I think they have the best food. They may. Yeah. They may. They That's have PNC, good food. isn't that? Yeah. Isn't that PNC? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I love the openness. I love the way it looks out over the city. It's it's open like ours. Uh, but I, I I like a lot of stadiums. Uh, you know, I, I grew up a Dodger fan because we didn't have baseball here, and I love Chavez Ravine. Um, you know, San Diego's a great park. Fenway and, and uh, Wrigley are old traditions. I love going they there. They cannot tear those stadiums down. No, I don't think they will. I mean, the, the, I, neither one of them. The Cubs just spent a lot of money on their ballpark village, which is somewhat like what we did here. And Boston's always doing stuff, so they're great. All right. The worst stadium? You know, I think um, it's pretty well documented that Oakland and Tampa, you know, need to find new homes. And um, yeah, I, I actually sort of like Oakland, uh, but it is old. It's you really like to. Oakland? I, I sort of do. I, I'm not sure why. I I like the Oakland there. reminds me like of the, the old the, county stadium in Milwaukee. It's sort of. I think yeah. it's better than that, but. Yeah, and I used to go to Packer games in County Stadium. Um, and Tampa, you know, I, I, my, I struggle watching baseball in a dome. So uh, those, those, are, those are very difficult for me to fall in love with. <laughs> and what would you do to improve this stadium? Um, I don't think there's a whole lot, really. I, I, there's, you know, we... we it's 28 years old. We continue to spend money on it. Like I told you, we had a party deck up on the right field, upper level. I'd like to do something on the left field, upper level, where it was a little more fun. It's just big. It's just a bunch of seats way up high. So, but there's not much. This this is a nice park. Or the seats with the obstructed view will be more alcohol. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> then, then, then the game doesn't matter. That's right. I just want to make sure we're on the same table. Yeah, we're on the same page. <laughs> Amazing. My thanks to Dick Monfort. Okay, ready to hold your glasses high? So is Ed Seelover from the Denver Business Journal. Beer is now everywhere in Colorado, literally, and the choices are nothing less than staggering. Every time I'm in Denver, I check in with Ed for an update. How are you, man? Great. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, you know, the last time we talked, because you also did, did a book on, uh, on, on craft beer. So, I mean, I mean you're, you're my beer guy. I mean, and, you know, when we were first talking about, you know, people don't necessarily associate Denver with beer. They associate Colorado with Coors, but they don't necessarily know about all the artisanal uh, breweries. 
It's it's getting bigger, isn't it? Yeah, there's about 430 craft breweries throughout Colorado. Stop. Right now. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, and and the amazing thing is, we expected that number to be a lot n- lower coming out of the pandemic, but there have been very few, about 15 to 20 that closed during the pandemic. Uh, uh, let me ask a really stupid question. 430. Absolutely. And I'm assuming, uh, let me let me give you, go back to the old days of Coors. When Coors was not distributed outside of Colorado in the old days, you couldn't get it, right? Yeah. And I remember when Richard Nixon was president, I'm not making this up, folks, Air Force, because Richard Nixon was out on the Western White House in San Clemente, and he'd fly from El Toro Marine Base on Air Force One back to Washington, what a surprise. The plane would make an unscheduled stop in Denver to stock up on Coors beer. So they brought it back to the White House because they couldn't get it back in D.C. Those are the days when you had no distribution. So now let's cut ahead many, many years later, right? Uh, 50 years later, if you really have to be exact, to 430 breweries. But what's their distribution? Are they? Uh, can you find the, the, the Colorado beers outside of Colorado? There's a number of them you certainly can, from Great Divide to Avery to New Belgium to Odell, that, that have national footprints. Uh, but the truth is most of them sell right here only in Colorado and, frankly, only around where they are. The, the, the common model, and it changed a little bit over the last two years, is that you sell in your tap room and the people have to go into the tap room and maybe you sell to the liquor stores around the area as well. But that's why there are so many local gems that people still have to come to Colorado for and why Colorado beer tourism is still so big. So as long as you have a designated driver, you could do an entire beer tour of the state. You could. Uh, it would be a lot of stopping, but you absolutely could. Because well, that's just for the bathroom. <laughs> yes. I mean, there, because there are so many small towns that now have breweries. I think that's what's changed over the last 10 years, is that you used to be able to find a lot in the Denver, Boulder, Fort Collins area, but now you can go to a place like Lake City, the most remote city in the lower 48 states. They've got their own brewery down there. And, and everywhere you go, you can find local beer. So you can find local beer in Pueblo. You can find local beer in Pueblo, absolutely. Grand Junction? You can find, uh, I think there's five or six breweries in Grand Junction now wow uh, there's there's a couple in fruta you know suburban grand junction um you know you can find things wherever you go and and seriously every suburb has it now too and can you uh, look we know Coors is in golden can you find other breweries in golden now I, uh it's funny you ask that in uh late december i took a day off and did a tour of the nine golden breweries that are not Coors with a friend of mine wow that, so. you never would have thought that would happen with, exactly with, with yes. that family there yeah it is but that but the funny thing is a lot of people speak about Coors as supporting the local scene, uh, you know, helping out with grain when needed or some technical expertise. Oh, wait, let's talk about grain. Where is the grain coming from? Uh, well, the, well, we're not seeing a lot of shortage coming from Ukraine, if that's what you're thinking. I mean, right now we're still getting the grain from elsewhere. There's still uh, a decent amount coming out of the San Luis Valley. We grow some in-state here. Uh, but like most states, we're getting it from around the country as well. Uh, and that hasn't stopped. Now, I've always believed... And by the way, I haven't proven the point, but I know I, it's true that if I ever really wanted to fail, I should start a restaurant. Because I mean, it's, it's one of the all-time great dreams every guy has when I want to open a restaurant. And of course, you know, the, the percentage of failures is huge. What about the percentage of failures in, in the brewery scene? Uh, the, quite small, actually. And, and I'm trying to remember. I don't have the exact figure off the top of my head, um, but there was no uptick in percentage failures during the pandemic. It still sits at about, I believe, 6 to 7%, um, which is incredible compared to the restaurant scene. Most breweries will, will you know, they, they have a shelf life. Most will, will go for a number of years, but you see very few that start up and close down right away. 
And they survived during the pandemic. They survived. Even better, because people were at home going, glug, 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 right? Yes, but the the tricky thing was that most of them weren't able to get beer to someone at the very start of the pandemic in a way that they could take it home and go glug, glug, glug. Uh, A lot of breweries had to shift their models. They bought what are called crowler machines. So you could go into the bar. You couldn't stay at the bar, but you'd go in and you could order a beer to be put into a 32-ounce can, take that home with you. Other breweries bought uh, small canning lines, so they made six packs of beers you could never find before. And frankly, it now makes it a lot easier to get more beers at your local liquor stores because everyone's canning and they can just get it out. Wow. Necessity being the mother of invention. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's been the biggest surprise development with the breweries? Is there is there a particular beer that nobody ever expected would get made, but it's now being made? Uh, no, I mean, we, of course, have those oddities, you know, from, you know, the What's Rocky Mountain. Give me the odd one. Ha- uh, how about the Rocky Mountain Oyster Stout uh, that's made by Wincoop Brewing <laughs> not far from here? Uh, oyster Stouts uh, are actually what, 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 a... Re- hold on. Okay. And what kind of bouquet does that beer have? Um, uh, I don't want to say it's a little nutty, but um, it's... Uh, you just did. <laughs> uh, it's actually... Oyster Stouts are a, a small, small genre where you can really kind of taste the brininess in a dark beer. This is pretty much the same. It's not quite as briny. It's a little bit um, thicker, if you will. But honestly, you can't taste the Rocky Mountain Oyster uh, in Thank the beer. Thank you. You've made but, my day. Yes. But, but what about uh, pale ales are still big? Pale ales, IPAs, India pale ales are still the biggest uh, genre. We're seeing a lot more Pilsners being made now, a lot more lagers, a lot lighter beers. I think yeah, that was a strange occurrence during the pandemic is that people started drinking lighter and kind of more old-fashioned uh, styles. They almost went back to what they knew before they were shopping for every new thing. Now, we're coming from the Rally Hotel, which is located about 100 feet away from from uh, the Rocky Stadium here. Uh, what do they serve at the stadium? How many beers? Um, I don't know the exact number. And, and, and as you might expect, Coors is still the dominant brand and some of its sub-brands. But they've got uh, uh, various bars throughout that serve kind of Colorado's better-known craft beers, uh, whether it be Oscar Blues or uh, Odell or some of those. And then you've got brands that are really up and coming like Weldworks that get a, a rotating spot in here so that people can come from out of town and try some of the hot beers. So. But the problem is you can't get it shipped back to home. Uh, generally, no. You can't get it shipped back to home. Breweries are not like wineries where you can go door-to-door service like that. So a lot of people will come to this state, leave uh, a lot of space in their suitcases, and try to bring home as much as they can. And they do. And they do, whether that's legal or not. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and pack it carefully because in the luggage compartment, it may not be pressurized. I've never had one explode on me, but uh, but I hear that can be a problem. Absolutely. Oh, it can. Yes. Yeah, the, the one thing you never want to do is the cans. If you, if you pack a can of beer or a can of soda in your luggage, it will explode on the flight. Well, you want to double wrap it. But the thing is now, breweries have moved away from bottles to cans for the most part. So you don't really have much of an option. Even the strongest beer are going to be now found in cans. Ooh. I get, uh, 33,000 feet, the Rocky Mountain Oyster explodes. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, what's the name of your book? Uh, my latest book came out in 2016 is Colorado Excursions with History, Hikes, and Hops. It's a 30-day guide to traveling the state, stopping each day at one historic site, one natural site, and one drinking site, what I like to, I like to think is the best that Colorado has to offer. My thanks to Ed, to Dick Monfort, and to Governor Jared Polis. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, just be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, you know the drill. Just log on 
to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be because Survivor 46 is here and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Devaya Daris. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast. And to ask Jeff some questions, because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.